You're listening to You've Been Hanked, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. I like to garden, always have, inherited the trait and learned the basics from Mama. Mama's always been a forward-thinking, able, and diligent gardener. For all I know, she had to be, after all. Old gunfighters sometimes need a place to bury the fools who occasionally show up to challenge the legend. (laughs) Just kidding, Mama, on the off chance you're listening, just a little jokey joke there. For the rest of y'all, It's not really a joke. When you see Mama down at the Piggly Wiggly, you ought to treat her with courtesy. When my father died, we had a good supply of preserved meat that he and I hunted. Our family fished. We had a hog done in sugar cure. Jars and jars and jars of Mama's good home canned garden produce that she'd labored to put away in case of hard times. Hard times. Mm. Little do we know especially in our youth, just how sudden and painful hard times may really be. Death is no respecter of persons. If it were, the world might be far more orderly, predictable, and make sense. Babies might come into the world, live their lives, contribute into society, the happiness of their family and other loved ones, then, at a ripe old age, pass from this world into the next. It's a sweet thought, but... Naive. There are lots of folks who live good or awful long lives. Some do great good in the world. Others do little but wickedness. Most of us are likely somewhere in between. Then when age settles on us as winter, we go. For some it's sudden. Others, death lingers about them for years or decades before it finally provides a relief for suffering. For too many, it comes as a thief in the night, sudden, terrible, no thought given to preparation. In its wake, wailing, pain, misery, hunger, cold, fear, abuse, maybe years of it or a lifetime. There is a subset of the population that we refer to as preppers. They're viewed by many with suspicion, concern, derision, and little of anything like respect. This despite the fact that many of them are actively engaged in activities that help ensure their family's resiliency in the face of sudden difficulty. I think part of this is probably because of the buffoonery that we see on YouTube and other digital platforms. Some of these people talk a A lot about zombies, the end of the world, and other catastrophes that are devastating to a degree that can only be societally fatal, if not world-ending. Some appear to seek attention that's self-affirming, or trying to sell items that will make sure that you, too, find yourself safe, sound, and at the top of the food chain when all the sheep are nothing more than food for the wolves. How silly. Meanwhile... There are also thoughtful men and women in the world who save a little money, set aside something extra in their pantry, and try to ensure that they have a few paperback books to refer to in case something unexpected happens. My grandparents were like that. Uncle Carl was too in his way. 
They were the children of the Great Depression. They were the soldiers and wives of the Second World War. They knew from first-hand experience the hell of want, real hunger, and war. None of them wished to experience those things a second time. Those old men and old women worked hard, not merely to buy toys, but to ensure that they had a bulwark, a hedge against any storm, be it sudden or well forecast. They didn't want to go hungry again. They had no desire to fight the Nazis and the Japanese again. These good men and good women didn't want to see the children or grandchildren suffer for lack of forethought, care, and planning. They did what they could to inculcate in their posterity all that was needed to thrive in times of plenty and persevere in the face of hardship. Now they're gone, and there are none left who share a collective memory of terrible hardship, world war, and starvation. Mama and Dub listened to their old folks. They worked hard to ensure that we had a secure home, something set aside to eat if things went south of a sudden, and thank God they did. When my dad died, there was little else but hard times. There was no credit life insurance on a farm. We lost it and had to move into town. Mama, a stay-at-home wife and mother with an eighth-grade education, had no marketable skills. She took a job waiting tables at Chris's Cafe during the day. At night, she attended school to become an emergency medical technician, or EMT. When she graduated from EMT school, she took a job out of town as an EMT during the day and continued to go to school at night to become a paramedic. Eventually, she graduated, went to work in our little beautiful as a paramedic, and was even made shift sergeant. For all her hard work, she was paid $18,000 a year, and that's how she fed us. I've always been incredibly proud of her for that. Eventually, we ate through the venison, pork, fish, peas, corn, tomatoes, and mama's good jelly of wild blackberries and wild plums. Thankfully, through all of it, she continued to garden and can what we couldn't eat. In those days, there was no talk of zombies or other silliness. Rather, we were living through the loss of father, provider, and protector. And Mama simply did what she and Dub had done before, made sure our family worked to set aside a surplus that would continue to see us through whatever might come. Were my parents preppers? <laughs> no. They were practical people who paid attention to the world around them and never wanted to either go hungry or see their children starve. Dub was a coal miner. From time to time, there were talk of strikes. I remember a particular time when the talk was serious. Dub was worried enough that he sat me down to discuss it, man to man. It was clear that my father wanted to work. Well, can't you just vote no and keep working, I asked. Dub, not wishing to make me afraid, but also desiring to convey the honesty that should be respected between a father and son, said, no, son. If the union votes to strike, I'll strike. If I did anything else... Our family be made to suffer. But you and I pray that the mind stays open and the union doesn't strike. My folks weren't concerned with foolishness, no. They were like their old people before them, worried about things that were real. We never worried about zombies. We were afraid my father might lose his livelihood. When I was five, Mom and I presented Uncle Carl with a young pear tree. Before long, a second pear tree was planted alongside it. Over the next 20 years, I benefited by watching that pear tree grow and seeing it produce rich 
delicious buttery pears year after year. It didn't happen all at once, of course. It took three or four years for the tree to mature to a point that it could produce any fruit. Eventually, though, the pears came, and in such wonderful abundance. Uncle Carl and us boys ate all the pears we could stand. I can't tell you the pear-induced belly aches I endured as a child. And every old woman that Uncle Carl knew came to pick pears from which they made preserves. The smart one shared a few jars of it with Uncle Carl and continued to benefit by being able to come and pick. Those who didn't, well, they usually faded from the story pretty quick. In addition to two large pear trees, Uncle Carl had a good producing fig, a gigantic series of wild blackberry bushes, an ancient mulberry tree, dewberries, hackberries, and passion fruit that grew wild in the corral. He also tended a modest garden until he just couldn't anymore. In that wonderful old gentleman's yard were two huge native pecan trees. They provided shade for the house, shade for sitting, a home for the squirrels, and a rich harvest of pecans every year. After my father died, things were difficult between my mother and I. That trauma affected each of us deeply. I was not an easy child to raise. She was not an easy woman to be raised by. There were only 17 years separating us. No fault finding here. I was a child being raised by a child. One who'd just lost the only man who ever truly loved her, as a man ought to love a woman. Those were desperately hard times. Despite this, we were blessed, for Mama loved a garden. Our home there in beautiful sat on good, sandy soil. It was the kind of earth that would grow anything worth growing. On the south side of the house, we had a large garden plot, and just as was true with Mama, it called to me. I loved to work my hands in that good earth. It wasn't only good earth, it was something akin to sacred earth. When Mama and I stood on that garden plot within the confines of the barbed wire fence that surrounded it on every side and worked there together, there were no unkind words between us, no ugly looks. Mama talked. She was patient. I listened, worked, and learned. That garden plot was blessed ground, a place of miracles. With hard work, prayers for rain, more hard work, patience, the blessing of our Heavenly Father, more hard work, our garden grew. We planted seeds, hoed weeds, killed pests, worried over the infrequent rain, hoped and prayed. Seeds sprouted, sprouts became plants, plants grew, flowered, fruited, and went to seed. Our family's garden was not some exercise in meditation. We weren't trying to connect with the earth. This wasn't some hippie experience for us. We were poor. My father was dead. Mama worked so hard that there were many mouths to feed. The success or failure of our garden mattered. It determined much of the quality of our diet for the most of the next year. On a particular evening, I sat on the floor in the front room as I often did working on my schoolwork. Mama sat up on the couch. As I remember it, we were there alone. Movement on the periphery of my vision drew my attention. Turning to look, I was surprised to see someone in our garden apparently helping herself to our vegetables. My much younger self leapt from the floor, yelped in alarm, turned to lead the charge outside, only to be stopped by Mama. What in the world is wrong with you, boy? 
there's a woman in the garden stealing our vegetables. What? Mama turned to look out the window. I saw her eyes narrow. Knowing my mother's temper, a sense of glee made itself known to me as I considered the fate of the thief in the garden. Let's go get her, I said. Mama turned to face me. Her already narrow eyes took me in and narrowed further. What do you mean, let's go get her? She's stealing from us. Again, Mama turned, apparently considering, then turned back to face me. Stay here. Mama walked to the dining room, found her stash of paper grocery bags that she liked to keep from our shopping trips at the Piggly Wiggly, brought four large ones back with her and pressed them into my arms. Take these out to the garden. Fill them up with the prettiest vegetables you can find out there. Fill up every single bag to the top. Load them into the back of that woman's car, then come back inside. Mama, she's robbing us. Shut your mouth and do what I said. My heart raced. Blood and rage rushed to my face. Pulse pounding tears of acute frustration threatened to spill from my eyes. I thought to say more, but looked into the eyes of my mother, who, though she only stood 5'2 and weighed no more than 110 pounds, was known to shoot first and ask questions later, literally. She was the kind of woman who might burn your house down while you slept inside, had made clear to more than one of our school teachers who called to announce that one of us was about to receive a paddle and that, well, certainly you can whip him if you think that's what best, but I know where you live, and if you do whip him when you get home, I'll be there waiting for you, and I'm going to whip you. She wasn't much physically, but Mama was very like a storm in her way. Sometimes she brought rain, other times thunder. From time to time, a terrible east wind, biblical. Looking in her eyes, it was that terrible east wind I saw looking back at me, and I had no intention of reaping it. I turned with the brown paper bag, stepping towards the front door. Son, my mother said. I turned to hear. Her features had not softened. If anything, that awful wind seemed to gather about her as she said, if you say a single ugly word to that woman, if you so much look sideways at her, you will regret it. In the part of the world where I live now, good manners are less important than they were when I was a boy. Many seem to look on them as quaint in my childhood. And in that of many of my contemporaries, good manners were a matter of childhood survival. Yes, ma'am, I said, then stepped outside. The woman, a dark-skinned black woman who appeared to be in her mid-forties, didn't see me at first. She was bent over an okra plant cutting ripe okra. Her car was parked on the side of the road on the other end of the garden. When she did see me, I was already in the garden with her. I thought she might run. She seemed about to run. Then saw the paper bags I carried. Cold rage coursed through me. I said nothing. I couldn't trust myself to do so without precipitating the fury of the storm that waited inside the house. I didn't so much as look at the woman who wantonly robbed our family's only means of feeding ourselves. Green cucumbers, yellow crookneck squash, okra, purple hull peas, corn, tomatoes, onions, zucchini, cantaloupe, cream peas, jalapeno, and cayenne peppers, and much more went into the bags until they were filled to the very top, just as Mama warned. For a while, the woman just watched me. As I worked and said nothing to her, she returned to her labor of helping herself to our garden. 
She wore a large apron that she held open in front of her like a sack, filling it with vegetables, our vegetables. When my work was done, I turned to her, trying hard to control my facial expression, preparing to speak, hoping I could do so in a way that would not doom me to the terrible east wind. Ma'am, if you'll open your car, I'll put these bags in your trunk or back seat. There was fear in her eyes, though at my words the fear softened. She led me to a well-worn old blue hatchback, something like a Chevette or B210, paint faded and worn. In any other state, it would have been ravaged with rust, but not in Texas. When she opened the hatch, I sat the paper bags full of our family's hard work and future meals into her car, then turned and started toward the house. As I began to step away, the woman, who had not yet spoken a word, laid a gentle, tentative hand on my forearm, then quickly pulled it away. I turned back to her, trying hard to control the anger that fought to consume me. I've not eaten in two days. My children hadn't eaten anything today. Tonight, we'll eat these vegetables. May God bless you. With this, the woman gave me a tear-filled smile, closed the hatch, sat in her worn-out old car, worked hard to get it started. The car did not want to start. Gave up a moment, assumed an attitude of prayer, tried again. After a loud backfire and an excess of awful, smelly smoke, was able to drive away. I watched there on the side of the road next to our garden as she did so. The anger that threatened to overtake me faded. In its place, I felt growing shame. The color of rage melted from my face, only to be replaced by shades of humiliation. Returning to the house, I walked up the concrete steps, entered the door, and saw that there, too, the east wind had subsided. In its place was a much gentler mama. She hugged me and said, Son, charity is the perfect love of Christ. It's a lesson that I've never forgotten. Much love, Hank. You've been Hank. Thank you for listening to You've Been Hanked. Are you a subscriber? If you are, thanks so much. I hope you enjoy receiving these episodes in your inbox as they're published. If not, what are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button. Also, do me a solid and share this episode with someone who might enjoy it. With each episode of You've Been Hanked, the podcast grows by one to a half dozen subscribers. With your help, I think we can do better. Finally, if you find my work worthy of your financial support, thank you for that. Please consider a paid subscription. Your material support makes it possible for me to continue this happy work. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked.